Good morning, and welcome to Faithfully Memphis. I'm Hester Mathis, Senior Associate Rector of Church of the Holy Communion, one of the churches in the Episcopal Diocese of West Tennessee. And I am deeply honored to host this week's show at Bishop Phoebe's Invitation. Thank you for joining us on Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. on WYXR. Each week, we have the opportunity to interview an interesting person to discover the role of faith in their life. Today, I'm excited to welcome Dr. Stephen Cook, Senior Pastor of Second Baptist, who will be talking about an interfaith collaboration that will be taking place the week of Thanksgiving, following in a three-decade tradition here in Memphis, but gathering in quite a different way this year due to the pandemic. Before we do that, though, I'd like to start off with our first segment, which is a saint of the day. Each week, we highlight a saint of the church, an ordinary person who finds themselves in a situation where they are doing extraordinary things. This week, we celebrated the feast day of Samuel Seabury, the first bishop of the Episcopal Church. A lot of you all might recognize Seabury from his role in Hamilton. If you've seen this Broadway production, Seabury would not be the kind of person you would have picked out on stage to be a saint. He was actually ridiculed and made fun of by Hamilton himself because Seabury was a priest ordained in the Church of England. Part of the ordination vows were to make an oath to the king or queen of England So therefore, Seabury remained a loyalist through the Revolutionary War, serving even as a chaplain to the Revolutionary troops, the British Army. Therefore, this would have put Hamilton and Seabury on quite different sides of the political spectrum. But what I love about this saint is that it shows that we can never quite categorize somebody as completely on one side or the other of a political argument. After the Revolution, when America had its independence, Seabury was voted to be the first bishop of the states. However, this meant that he had to go over and become ordained a bishop in the Church of England, which came with a very slight problem to it. This would require that he take another oath to the king, which he could not do at this point. Therefore, he went to Scotland to the Episcopal Church in Scotland, where he would not have to take that oath. And in 1784, he was ordained in Aberdeen in Scotland and became America's first bishop. That is why the American branch of the Anglican Communion to this day remains the Episcopal Church, tying back to our uh, time in which we leaned on our brothers and sisters in Scotland. Now we might all be friends, but this is a fun place to see how that history was born and how it continues to play out in this day. So today we celebrate Saint Samuel Seabury. I came to you hungry. I came to you full of myself. I came to you through wilderness. 
going hell I feasted on neon lights Smoking beers Promises made too quickly Undelivered I was broken and bruised I was humbled and aching Sorry, so sorry For mistakes I was making Empty and lost That's how you found me Starving and hungry You gave me Welcome back. I am lucky to get to interview Dr. Stephen Cook, the senior pastor of Second Baptist this morning, about an interfaith Thanksgiving tradition that has been going on in Memphis for over three decades. So Stephen, first, uh, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to Memphis? Sure. Well, I'm glad to be here. And recently just uh, celebrated my 10th anniversary as pastor at Second Baptist. And so it's been a wonderful decade that we've gotten to spend here. From the moment we arrived in Memphis, my family and I felt like we were at home. And that feeling has only grown deeper over these last 10 years. So it's been a terrific journey to get to this point. And part of my story of coming to Memphis is that we 
arrived right at this time of the year, and our church wanted to have a Thanksgiving service, and that ended up being my very first preaching moment at Second Baptist. So we did it with just our congregation having a Thanksgiving service to welcome the new pastor. But I knew that there was this interfaith group that had been working together and that at some points along the way, Second Baptist had been involved with it previously, but I'm not sure how regularly or how consistently that had been happening. In the congregation from which I had come in Virginia, our community had a strong interfaith ecumenical network of congregations that shared together and did multiple services throughout the year in that small town. And so it was really important for me to be able to find some network that I could tap into and some group to which I could belong. So I arrived in 2010. We did our own thing that year for Thanksgiving. But then in 2011, Second Baptist played host to the Interfaith Thanksgiving service. And from there, we've been consistent participants ever since. And it's been a wonderful thing for us to be able to connect with local ministry partners and an opportunity for us to deepen relationships and engage with our neighbors that we already know because Memphis is a big, small town in so many ways. And so it, it's a great way for our church folks to be able to interact with their neighbors that they do business with, that they go to school with, in so many different settings. And it, it just continues to build and to strengthen our community here. So uh, I'm thrilled that we've been able to see the life and the energy that it has brought not only to our church, but that it seems to bring to the community. That's wonderful. Uh, you know, this group started as a small uh, gathering of different faith communities in East Memphis, and it's grown considerably since then. Why do you think it started uh, centered around Thanksgiving? Well, it's low-hanging fruit in terms of interfaith cooperation, right? Because that way, we don't have to get into concerns over particular religious traditions that could be exclusive Thanksgiving being a civic holiday and yet rooted in faith traditions that are common to so many different religious groups uh, allows us to be able to, to come together around those things that unite us rather than having to uh, find ways to finagle the, the differences that exist between us. And so it, it makes for a great entryway into understanding and exposure to other traditions. And it gives us, I, I just love, you know, when the, when the shofar is, is blown at the beginning of the service or, or when we have the Muslim call to prayer and the year that we were hosting at Second Baptist a couple of years ago and to have any mom in our pulpit being able to do that, that was a remarkable moment for us as a congregation to share that. And, and, practicing gratitude is a part of what's at the heart of all of our common faith traditions. So it's it's such a rich and meaningful moment and really a remarkable way in the Christian tradition, I think, to set the stage for the season that then comes for us as we immediately move into Advent and our preparations for Christmas. And it's sort of a kickoff to that whole season of the year for us. 
Absolutely. I mean, Thanksgiving is rooted in coming around a common table from all sorts of different backgrounds and um, areas and traditions right. and cultures. So right. uh, it's it's really been a wonderful way to bring all of that together in common worship and prayer. Um, I can imagine, though, that coming from lots of different faith traditions and cultures and practices, that uh, it really lends itself to teachable moments. Do you have any of those that stand out uh, in your time working with this group and uh, worshiping together? Well, I, I, I can think of some positive ones, and I can think of some less than positive ones that have <laughs> come about. But, but part of how we learn is through our stumbling and, and some of the mistakes that we make. And even things like uh, where where we've talked about in years past, trying to find ways to bring the different congregations together. And I know you've heard me say before in some of our planning meetings when the clergy get together, and it's usually in the in the early fall that we start that. And and it seems like every year we say, you know, we ought to be doing more together throughout the year. This shouldn't just be an annual thing that happens. And every year we have these great intentions for for how it's going to be different next time, and it never is. Absolutely. Except this year, which yes. I'm sure we'll get to in a moment. But one of the things that I remember going back seven or eight years is some conversation around uh, shared work together, like days of service in the community. And we had a hard time finding a way that we could do that and honor our Jewish neighbors and the Sabbath keeping that is shared in that community, how we can honor our Muslim neighbors and some of the traditions that that they need to keep. And then we Christians, at least I'll speak for for my branch of the of the family tree, that we don't honor our Sabbath day or our day of worship with quite the same reverence that we should, or as some of our other faith partners in this work. And so it's been a great opportunity to learn about customs and traditions and values and things of that nature. And then I also think about some of the worship experiences that we've shared when we've had new people come into the into the fold of participating congregations and to have to have leaders who come and and will explain why they do this particular thing or or what this particular custom is before reading a passage of sacred scripture or before mm. sharing a piece of music those kinds of things become great learning points so that we can better know our neighbors and and that we don't have to be so unsure or put off by the unfamiliarity of customs and, and traditions and, and just a great learning point for us. And, and I've loved, as different clergy have, have come and gone and moved in and out of the group, the, the kind of curiosity that gets brought by new people. Right. And, and so we, we get to revisit the why behind the what of our experiences. And that that's been really, really rich and rewarding, not just, I think, for the for the participating worshipers who come to the services that we do, 
But I know for me as a member of the clergy, it's been a great experience for me to to know my neighbors better and, and to understand their traditions better. Absolutely. I recall last year our talking about how we had this group of faith leaders. And when we gathered together, we had built enough trust with one another that mm-hmm. we could ask those awkward or right. maybe uh, those questions that we were nervous to ask in other settings and how we right. wanted to model that for uh, the people in our faith communities. So we tried something new last year where we right. gathered people from different communities around tables for smaller group discussions so that they would have that opportunity to share about their own traditions and to perhaps even get to that point where they felt comfortable asking uh, those questions of one another. So, so much of it is just in being able to share our stories and uh, build that trust yes. so that we can learn from one another. Yeah. And making that move that we did in 2019 from after the worship service going to a church <laughs> gym or a, a social hall in, in a congregation space and and then everyone just gathering with the people that they already know and and eating light hors d'oeuvres and that sort of thing. Like but a middle school dance. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so making that shift to where we could then gather around tables and have meaningful conversation and then move from there into worship with one another, that I have that image in my mind of of standing there at the front of the room at Temple Israel where we had gathered last year and the the visual of all of these people around these tables and and the sound of conversations among neighbors and then us having the moment where we stand up and then we all move together into a shared worship space that that's powerful and and it seems so vital in this season of our life together as as a community as a country globally these these powerful moments of people being able to cross the the divides that so often are so artificial and and, and then to be able to share together around a common center God knows we need that. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. And we need it more than once a year. Exactly. (laughs) You know, having this tradition once a year does keep us engaged in this important work. And it keeps us uh, focused on that so that then, um, you know, I I think of a powerful time when uh, Fievel Strauss, who was at Temple Israel at the time and involved in this, called up and said, "Okay, I want you to wear your collar. And I'm going to wear my yarmulke and I want, you know, anyone to come and I want us to just go to lunch together and be a visual in the city of uh, eating together, talking together and uh, wanting to be in each other's company. His vision was that we would all end up at Starbucks in the morning and (laughs) be that witness to the city of, uh, you know, all – learning and being engaged and being in relationship right. with one another. Because when you have those times, you can quickly find that there's so much that's holding us together and so much richness in what's unique to each of our Absolutely. Um, experiences. Absolutely. Uh, 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and since I'm a Baptist, you know, we don't have any distinguishing marks. So I just look like an ordinary guy <laughs> showing up to hang out with some holy people. So it's great. <laughs> and part of that is it's awesome. Um, so in the past, this has traditionally been a Tuesday night worship, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Right. It goes around to the different faith communities. So one year we might be at Church of the Holy Communion. Next year at Second Baptist and then at Temple or at the Memphis Islamic Center. Um, so in a year when it became quickly apparent that we would not be able to gather in person safely for worship the week of Thanksgiving, I don't think anybody would have begrudged any of us to say, OK, we're, we're not doing that this year. Right. Why do you feel it was um, <clears throat> important to show that uh, we were going to continue this tradition, but in a different way. Well, there are a couple of things that I think are really important. One is that now as much as ever is a time for cooperation and collaboration for the healing of the nation, right? And for the healing of the community and the ongoing work of healing and promoting the the good that binds us together. That's mm. vital. Yeah. And then when you couple that with the realities of, of where we find ourselves in the midst of a pandemic in this most upside down and unusual sort of year, and when we have so many of our neighbors who have been negatively impacted by this in ways that that go far beyond the inconveniences that you and I have experienced. Oh, absolutely. Because, I mean, the reality is we we sit in exceptionally privileged sorts of places, and so many of our neighbors don't have that. Right. And, and if we were to simply say, well, the logistics of trying to pull something together, you know, spending our energy on, on some sort of video edited service and then <laughs> counting on people to click on it and watch it. I think I think what we're doing this year, we've we've moved from sharing a worship service, which is really important, to something that's even more essential, which is to share in community service by doing this food and funds drive that that we're planning it provides us the opportunity to to really put our faith to work. Right, worship in action. Exactly. And to be able to bring <clears throat> people together when when we do the Tuesday night services with with all the pomp and circumstance of us clergy leaders dressed up in our in our finest, you know, that's great and and for the worshipers I know that it's a meaningful experience. But it's really different when you get to work alongside of your your neighbors from a different faith community, different faith tradition, and and so we're we're not just asking people to sit and watch us right. do the leadership, right? But we're asking for people to come and join us in in the work of serving our neighbors through this this initiative. So I'm really excited for this that that we're moving. To something that I think, and you know, we've talked about trying to do something more for a long, long time, and this is one of the the gifts that the pandemic is giving us. 
Yes, another silver lining yes. of this time. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit more about this food and funds drive for the Mid-South Food Bank that we're going to be embarking in next Saturday. Sure. So uh, we've got three locations uh, around the community where we are uh, setting up where different volunteers from our participating congregations, and we have some new congregations that have come into the fold because of the fact that we're doing this, which is great so that it's continuing to expand beyond just East Memphis neighborhood congregations. So we've got three locations where we are going to be receiving food or funds to benefit the Mid-South Food Bank from one o'clock to five o'clock this Saturday afternoon, November the 21st, uh, Second Baptist and Church of the Holy Communion, cross the street neighbors. <laughs> we can get people eastbound or westbound on Walnut Grove and and uh, St. Michael's uh, Catholic Church on summer, and then the mosque that is right there near the University of Memphis. And we'll have volunteers there who are going to be on hand. So if people have canned goods, non-perishable food items to bring for the Mid-South Food Bank. They can drop those off. We'll also have buckets where if people want to drop in donations, they can do that as well, where $1 buys three meals for neighbors in need in our community. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It really $1 is. $1 buys three meals. I know it. I know it. And <laughs> and I've been saying to our people at Second Baptist as, as we've been promoting this that the food is great. And we are delighted to get the food. The deepest impact comes from the funds. Right. And and if people can can give to support that, then that will go even further than any food that is purchased. So we, we want to put it all to work for the common good. And even for those who aren't able to come and drop by one of those locations and, and make a donation or to scan the QR code that we'll have available there. You can go online and make a donation through the Mid-South Food Bank in a secure way. You don't even have to leave your home. You can you can just do that from wherever you, wherever you are with whatever device you have in your hand at the moment. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing how many ways there are to get involved. You can bring food, if taking your children to the grocery store and having them pick out their favorite holiday non-perishable food as a teachable moment for them. Right. You can bring funds that get, you know, multiplied in their impact as a Mid-South Food Bank uh, delivers those to food insecure all around the Mid-South. Um, the amount of food insecurity and the percentage that that is growing in our area due to the pandemic is um, a staggering amount. So uh, one thing that has no divisions and right. uh, and no differences across faith lines is that we are one community and That's we right. are rallying around the food insecurity that exists in our city and the surrounding counties. That's right. We're we're at Great Depression levels in terms right. of food insecurity. And, and the need is real, and, and there is more than one pandemic among us. Oh, my. And, and we need to make certain that we not turn a blind eye to our neighbors in need during this time. Yeah, and, you know, that, that's a really important part, that we're heading into shorter days, darker days, longer uh, nights, and mm -hmm. the holidays, which can also be hard um, on people who are not able to be surrounded by their loved ones. 
uh, that this is a chance for us to show solidarity, to Mm -hmm. show that we are here, we are praying for uh, all those in our community, we are rallying around them, and we are going to, uh, we're going to fight this food insecurity in our city. That's right. That's right. So I'm, I am thrilled that this has been the, the new life that has been given to something that just continues to grow and to, and to become better. So I'm excited to see what happens beyond 2020. I'm really excited to get beyond 2020. Yes. But, <laughs> but I can't I'm, say that enough. That's right. But I'm I'm especially interested in seeing how our our interfaith partnerships can continue to grow and what seeds are being planted now that will bear fruit for us in years to come because of this that we get to share now. Absolutely. So again, we're going to be collecting food and funds at the mosque that's near uh Highland, uh, near the University of Memphis area, um, along Walnut Grove, uh, between Second Baptist and Holy Communion, with food being collected uh, at Second Baptist, and then uh, also at uh, St. Michael's Catholic Church on summer. This is come rain or shine. That's right. No matter where you are coming from, you can participate. And if you are staying safer at home, uh, go to any of our websites or our Facebook pages, and you will find a link where you can give online as well. That's right. That's right. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for being with us on Faithfully Memphis today. Really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me, Hester. And next up, we have The Lord's Work by Eric Bibb. Somewhere Further up the room Somewhere We might as well start now Treating each other like a friend It's too late Nowhere to run It's time to get together And get the Lord's work done together and get the Lord's work done Someday we'll have to get along Someday teaching love instead of hate Well starting now before it's too late. It's too late. Got nowhere to run. It's time to get together, people. Get the Lord's work done. together and get the Lord's work done Listen, sisters been teaching trying to raise the children right 
religion Trying to spread the news I heard a man say You got to serve somebody And you know it's time to choose It's too late Nowhere to, nowhere to run Well, it's time to get together And get the Lord's work done This next segment would normally be Stump the Bishop. I am not a bishop, but uh, I am a priest, as is the bishop. And so I am going to have a question today on Stump the Female Priest. One of the questions that I get over and over again is, what do we call you? When I was in seminary, I thought I had this question all figured out. I would go simply by my baptized name, Hester, because I figured if it's good enough for baptism, it's good enough for a title. However, I quickly discovered that there are times in which a title is either appreciated or appropriate. So the question would come about, if the rector of Holy Communion is referred to as Father Sandy, what is an equivalent that we can use for you? Mother tends to make us think of nuns more so than priests, and I am not a nun. Mother Hester also sounds like Mother Hubbard, so I was not going to go in that direction. However, especially when in school environments and working with parents who would like to teach their children about respectful titles when referring to authority, I quickly learned that I needed to come up with something other than just Hester when I was in these situations. So I kind of went back to the drawing book and I thought about how it could be pastor. However, Pastor Hester does not sound right. It rhymes too much. And then I kind of landed on, well, I could go by Reverend. Now, any grammar people out there will realize that grammar tells us that the reverend and then your name is a written title, not a spoken title when used in the Episcopal Church. It's also always used with the before it. However, new times call for new rules. So I decided that in my case, I would go by Reverend Hester. So that gives me a title to give to parents who want to teach their children about respecting authority. It gives me a title to help um, affirm traditions in schools where the faculty are referred to by title. It also gives me a certain amount of informality because I am still using my first name in that. So I go by Reverend Hester. Again, new days call for the bending of old rules and traditions such as grammar. 
Um, this has been a really great conversation for me, though, because what I've learned is that that is a title that I have landed on. But different people land on different titles. And some of that has to do with theological grounding. Some of it has to do with the context in which you are situated. And some of that has to do with personal preference and how it goes with your name. So it has to do with aesthetics almost. Um, I have lots of female friends who will go by mother and it works in their context. Um, I have other female clergy friends who will go by pastor. However, what I quickly discovered is that in the Bible Belt of Memphis, pastor typically gave a cue that you were in one of the other um, Protestant religions that are a little bit more fundamental. And so it it typically confused people more than it was helpful. They might think that I was um, a pastor in the Methodist or the Baptist or, you know, one of those um, traditions, and then the collar that I was wearing would throw them off. Uh, Episcopalians find ourselves in that strange space between Catholic, Protestant. We do some of what one group does. We have some of what the other group does. And so oftentimes when we find ourselves in certain contexts, we find that it will trigger certain assumptions or that it can be a helpful identifier for helping people figure out who we are and what we are. Being a female clergy person, I was laughing when the bishop shared her story a couple of weeks ago about being mistaken for being in costume when she had her collar on on Halloween Day. And uh, that happens to me quite often, actually. Um, and so it really is uh, something that can help people know, no, I am not a nun. I am also not a female priest in the Catholic Church because uh, it is not that day yet, uh, and that I am Episcopalian, and that's why I have on this collar that distinguishes me in my role in that particular way that I lead in the church. So for me, it's Reverend Hester, but for, uh, for your purposes, what I would invite you to do is always ask the question. Everyone appreciates being asked, what should I call you? And in my case, I would say, call me by my baptized name, call me Hester. And if you would like a title, call me Reverend Hester. We got going on Everybody knows There's a 
Thank you again for tuning in to Faithfully Memphis. In closing, I'd like to remind you that you can participate in the Interfaith Food and Funds Drive this Saturday, November 21st, from 1 to 5 p.m. at any one of our three collection sites, near the University of Memphis at the mosque, near Highland, at Second Baptist in East Memphis and that area of Walnut Grove between Second Baptist and Holy Communion, or at St. Michael's Catholic on summer. We hope to see you there. It's been an honor to be your host this week. And next week, Bishop Phoebe will be back at 8 a.m. on Thanksgiving morning. There will still be a show on the holiday, and I hope that you will join us. Until then, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Oh, 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 o